Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us again today. I'm here with my new friend, Jessica Hunt. Jessica, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. We, we were already chatting before I hit the record button. And uh, man, we're going to go deep today. I'm excited about the conversation. We're going to be talking about the importance of diversity and inclusion. It's a heavy topic. Uh, really, it deserves probably like three or four podcast episodes and, and having all kinds of different people on. But we're going to at least introduce it. And I think in a really powerful way. So we're going to get to that here in just a bit. Jessica, you are a photographer, a business owner. And uh, I know that finding free time can be difficult. One of the things we've been starting the podcast off with recently is something I'm calling the technique for time or tool for time. And I'm curious what yours is. What's something that you do on a regular basis that creates space in your life for those things that you're passionate about? Well, I try to be really intentional about when I'm working and when I'm not supposed to be working. This is my fourth year full-time in business. And I have learned that I'm the kind of person who could wake up at eight o'clock in the morning, sit down at my desk at nine, sit here until seven, go eat one meal and then come back, keep on working, keep on just go, 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 go. Yeah. And I did that for a little while in my business and I started to get burnout. And I started to not want to do what I was doing, started to find less joy um, and even shooting because when I was shooting, I was coming from being so tired from working all day in the office and things like that. So I just kind of learned that for me, I need to kind of balance when I'm supposed to be working and when I, where my expectations for myself are on that and where my expectations for myself are in self-care and taking care of myself. And one of the biggest things that I kind of do is I try to go to bed at least, you know, pretty early, 10, 10, 30. I'm up by 7, 15, 7, 30. And I have a lot of friends who are like, Jessica, you're self-employed. Why are you waking up so early? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I just get more done in the morning and it gives me more time for myself in the evening so I can sit down, bust out some work, yep. get done, have time for the gym, have time for just to be a person, to be a human, to be Jessica separate of Jessica Hunt Photography. Because as business owners, I think it's really easy for us to wrap our entire identity up in our business and... I just can't do it. I need to be a separate person so I can be even better when I am just got photography. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, as much as entrepreneurs business is such a massive part of their life, it really isn't the only part of mm -hmm. their life of our lives and creating space, creating time to do something besides business 
is healthy. Uh, and by the way, yeah. creating space and, and more ideally, as you have a schedule for sleep is even more healthy. Um, I, I've been reminded this of this as of late. I mean, I've gotten to a point with my personal health where I'm relatively happy with the way that I'm, I've addressed my weight. I, I, I've lost over the last number of years about uh, 50 pounds, between 50 and 60 pounds. And I'm down to a place where I want to be. Do it, Nathan. <laughs> yes. But, but that, you know, I've addressed that in different ways uh, with, with the way that I eat and, and certainly through exercise, but sleep is something that has suffered in my life pretty significantly over the last number of years. A lot of that's been driven by stress, but then that stress kind of led to bad habits and I, I've just not been sleeping as much as I need to or as well as I need to. And, um, and so, that affects your whole day and how hard you can work the next day and if you can focus. Absolutely. And it's, it's so wrapped up in that. If you don't get a good night's sleep, you're going to get so much less done, no matter if you spend six or 10 hours in the office or not. If you're not at that productivity level, why, you're wasting your time. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's the mental clarity issue. And then, you know, even for, for those that are trying to achieve certain health goals, a lot of those efforts can be frustrated or limited by lack of sleep, because that lack of sleep, of course, affects you physiologically in a really significant level. So it, so much is tied to sleep. And I've actually, and I'll, I'll link to this resource in, in the show notes, I've, I purchased a ring a little while oh. back. It's, it's been probably a year, maybe even two years ago, uh, by a company called Aura. And there are plenty of fitness trackers out there that um, that do a bit of sleep tracking based on basically how much you move around in, at night and maybe a bit of your heart rate. Uh, this company called Aura has has actually gone even deeper with it. And this, oh, wow. this sleep tracker, I can literally wear like a ring. Um, in fact, I just recently ordered the the updated version of it that is, it looks just like a ring, but the form factor is so small, so it doesn't get in the way of life. Uh, but it gives you this deep, deep perspective on how well you're sleeping, not just how well you're sleeping, oh but it breaks down the, the various stages of sleep, how much time you spend in them. Um, it gives you a, a readiness score, if you will, based on heart rate variability, which uh, is a deep topic in and of itself. And I'll let everybody kind of Google that. But um, it's a really, really powerful tool. And I've begun using it consistently as of late to, to really begin addressing this issue with sleep. And, and part of it, of course, is tied to the consistency with a schedule that's so, so important. So I have a lot of respect for that. I have a lot of respect for the fact that you're creating boundaries and parameters for work and for your personal life. And I think that's a great example for all those listening in. So this is a great way for us to start the conversation. Thank you so much. I'm excited to start off with talking about sleep. It's one of my favorite things to do. So. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it really should be for all of us. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk and I, I talk about him quite a bit here on the podcast. Me too. And, and it, of course, he's a, a wonderful inspiration when it comes to work ethic. But one of the things that he'll mention from time to time is the significance of sleep, despite this crazy work schedule that he still prioritizes getting that seven to eight hours and, and how you, sh you can't minimize the importance of, of sleep. So even somebody like Gary, if, if he prioritizes it, I think we should be too. So it's good stuff. Speaking of free time, I'm curious how you like to spend it. Um, you're creating this space for yourself. What are things that you enjoy doing when you have that free time? Well, you were mentioning um, you were on a little health journey, going to the gym and whatnot. And that is something that I have um, recently been incorporating into my life. I started making a big lifestyle change probably about six months ago, seven months ago. That's awesome. And I have since lost about 25 pounds. Um, and I now kind of have been spending my free time about two hours in the gym every weekday. Um, Incredible. And, you know, six months ago, if I would have told someone that I'd be in the gym 
having fun, enjoying <laughs> it. I would have been like, yeah, jokes on y'all. You thought, yeah. <laughs> but truly it has become a place where I can go and work to achieve something different in my day that isn't just business related. Yes. Um, I know we all have bad days at work. Some days you sit down and you have been there for so long and you literally got nothing done. Right. And you're like, what have I been doing for the past four hours? Yeah. I hate everything. <laughs> and I kind of found myself getting so frustrated constantly and down on myself with, I'm not getting enough done every day. I, I'll sit down in the office and I'll just sit there and I don't know what I'm getting done. And so I started kind of incorporating going to the gym in my free time as something else to achieve too. I'm very um, goal oriented. I like to challenge myself. Um, I really thrive if I have more than I should um, kind of need to do to do. Um, if I'm like in that kind of hustle mode, I feel like I get more done. So being able to like kind of give myself something else to achieve has been really rewarding. So going to the gym and I have a really cute dog, Ranger and I go on lots of walks and we explore Columbia all the time. And I posted on Instagram today about some TV shows that I've been watching. I really love films. I love TV. I really like to watch those real dark, intense thriller shows and yes. like really kind of dive into the deepness of the human psyche yep, and yep. what hurt people do and why, what means what. So that's kind of what my nerdy self does in my free time. <laughs> <laughs> that's really awesome. You mentioned a number of things here I want to comment on. First of all, you mentioned your Instagram account and I'll just throw this out here for those listening in, you got to check out Jessica's Instagram account and you just go to J Hunt, the letter J Hunt photos, J Hunt photos on Instagram, and you can keep up with Jessica and her work there. You also mentioned these, these morning workouts. Uh, I, I just came back from one not very long ago this morning, and there's something about starting my day off with, with kind of an invigorating high intensity workout that really mm -hmm. bumps up the energy for me. You mentioned before we started recording the elliptical machine. And I know a lot of people uh, would rather be outside moving around be, instead of being in this kind of static space inside a gym. I totally get that. I'm with you. But uh, for me, I've had a number of knee issues over the years from playing mm -hmm. soccer and, and so forth. And so I can't do a whole lot of high impact activity. And the elliptical machine has been a great outlet for me to come in and do a 20 minute high intensity workout. It's really simple. It's a four minute warm up, just kind of easy pace. And then at that four minute mark, I go 30 seconds hard and then 90 seconds easy again. And then the six minute mark again, 30 seconds hard, 90 seconds easy again, and repeat that process through until the 20 minute workout is complete. And there are significant benefits and the research has been, been done with this high intensity uh, interval training that comes from just a 20 minute workout. It's a great mm -hmm. way to kick off my day. I'll do that Monday, Wednesday, Friday right now. And then even better, I work out at, at a, a a gym called Planet Fitness. This is a chain. I think that me too. Do you really? It's it's so mm -hmm. great because for my, I think it's like twenty dollars a month. I don't just have this this cool place to go work out, but I also can then go sit in the massage chair afterwards. Yo, <laughs> which is brilliant because I it, I mean it's great for me physically, but then simultaneously while I'm sitting there, then I can kind of review my industry news and tech news for the day, um, and it's, so I'm I'm product productive while simultaneously getting to relax. It's it's kind of the best of both worlds. I feel like we're the same person because <laughs> <laughs> I do the elliptical, but something that I really have been focusing on is the stairmaster. Um, yeah. I have like. 
my friend got to the 30 minute stair stairmaster club um like two months before me and i was like mad i was like oh no i'm gonna go 30 minutes straight on that dang thing like now <laughs> it's a competition yeah and now i kind of like it i'm like ooh, my it's stairmaster day all i'm gonna do is go up all these thousand stairs but i'm the same way i kind of in work when I'm working out or if I'm doing that massage chair or doing my cool down from a weightlifting session, I'm, you know, kind of on my phone, looking over my calendar, responding to Instagram DMS, yep. some comments on Facebook. I try to get kind of that social media um, time out when I'm kind of just, you know, need something to do with my hands while I'm working out, which is really great because it's so easy for us to sit on our phone and constantly, I don't know about anyone else, but I get a lot of comments on things sometimes and comments on my blog. And yeah. when you got a lot of social media outlets, it can become very overwhelming to respond to Twitter messages, to respond to Instagram DMs, Instagram comments, Facebook messages, Facebook comments on my business and my personal. Like it, it gets kind of like, I get stressed because I never want anyone who has taken the time to comment on something that I have posted or something or respond to my content and me not respond to them. I think that would be really horrible. <laughs> so I use a lot of my cardio time or my cool down time just to like kind of knock that out and respond to people on Instagram DM and that kind of stuff. So I kind of get what you're saying where kind of killing two birds with one stone, being productive, but still kind of having some moments where I'm just, you know, me and my body are just moving and it feels really nice. Yeah. I, I think you make a great point there, which is to take advantage of opportunities to do something like responding to comments while you are, you know, if you're, if you're on the, the bicycle at the gym or maybe mm -hmm. you're going for a walk and, and you have an opportunity to, to, um, to jump on the phone and respond to, to a message there, there are opportunities that we have throughout our day where we can multitask and it's not actually affecting us negatively in any way. Uh, we're not suggesting you drive and text at the same time or respond to your message yeah. at the same time, but there are ways, Don't do that. <laughs> but there are ways that you can, as, as you're describing, take advantage of those opportunities to multitask so that then when you need to, uh, have address or give your full attention rather to those things. And if you're doing some design work for your website, or maybe uh, you're working on the design of an album, or maybe you're, you're working on importing those images to, to cull in Lightroom before you send them to the photographers edit, whatever it might be, you can actually focus on the task at hand because you've responded to social media at another time. It is so easy to get caught up in that process of just kind of oh, I've got Instagram right here. I'm going to scroll for a little bit. And then time is mm -hmm. lost. Time is wasted. I'm not a huge fan of multitasking, but this is a particular example of where I think it does work really well. And, um, and, and I think a lot of our listeners could take advantage of that kind of thing too. So if you're not a huge fan of working out, find ways to multitask simultaneously, be productive at the same time. You get, you get <laughs> kind of the best of both worlds. Or go work out for like two months and then see if you're not a fan after you go for two months. Cause I wasn't a fan when I started and now I'm like, I can't wait to get to the gym. I would like to go now. I get like frustrated when my gym schedule gets off now. Yeah. It's, it's honestly a little much. <laughs> well, once, as you say, you make it a habit and then you see the benefits of it. Um, it, it is hard to give up and I've mm -hmm. certainly... I felt similarly. So I get where you're coming from there. But yeah, I would certainly encourage any and everyone out there, if, 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 it's, if it's become a difficult thing to get to the gym, my suggestion would be figure out a way to start small. Um, yeah. These 20 minute workouts for me are great because they're sustainable, right? I, if, if, I, if I have mm -hmm. in mind, I'm going to go work out three hours every day at the gym, I, likely I'm not going to follow through because that's overwhelming. 
Um, but mm-hmm. just like we've talked about before when it comes to project management in our business, and, and if we don't break that big project or that big goal down into to manageable pieces, it can be so overwhelming it gets in the way. So if you start a workout uh, program with something small that's attainable, something you can easily do day to day, um, it'll, it'll make it much more sustainable, uh, much less overwhelming, and you'll probably see much better results uh, from it. So that's good. That's good advice. Let's, let's jump to the photography side of things. How long have you been in business as a photographer? And talk to us a little bit about how you got started. Yeah. So I actually shot my first wedding eight eight years ago when I was a junior in high school and I started my business and went full time. Now you just, you kind of, you skirted over that you started in as a junior in high school. That's kind of a big deal. Not a lot of people do that. What what did that look like? How did you get started in that? (laughs) Okay. So I was 16 and my parents gave me my first ever camera for my birthday, sweet 16. I got this little Nikon point and shoot. Yes. And it was like burgundy. I still remember. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I like kind of became like obsessed. I just like, started running around outside and taking all these photos and photographing my dog at the time. She, her name was Shadow. And I just really, really started loving it. Um, started saving up and was like, oh, I'm going to buy one of those, those cameras where you can change the lens on the front. You know, I'm talking about Nathan, one of those ones that you change the lens <laughs> on the front. <laughs> I, I, is that, are they, do they call those things DSLRs? Is that what they I are? don't know. Well, 16 <laughs> year old me was telling everyone I was getting one of the cameras that changed the lens on the front, not <laughs> anything awesome. else. <laughs> and then, so probably about six months after I had that point and shoot, I was like working in the yard getting my like $5 a week allowance, you saving, 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 yeah. whatever Christmas came around. And my brother helped me purchase my first ever DSLR. It was a little Canon rebel. And I started interning for a wedding photographer in my city uh, for a few, a first few, two, like two weddings. I just kind of carried her bags and tried to be the nicest person in the entire planet. Cause I wanted to, you know, bring my camera next time. And she did allow me to bring my camera and I started second shooting for her. And I second shot, kind of shot a few of my own weddings, went through, you know, went the senior year of high school, graduated high school, went to college um, at a school in Greenville, South Carolina. And I was, you know, going to pursue elementary education. I was going to get a degree in that. And I was going to be a wedding photographer on the side. (laughs) <laughs> I get I giggle are. now because <laughs> 17 year old Jessica was like wedding photographer on the side, LOL. Yeah. And about a, a year into school, I college, I kind of realized that the major I had chosen was not for me. I had shot a few more weddings with that same wedding photographer and I started shooting portraits of client people who were asking me. And, you know, I bought my first 51.8 and I just decided like, no, I love this. I want to do it. I want to be an artist. So I left a full ride to college. I had a scholarship with the school that I was at for elementary education. And I was like, nope, I'm going to be an artist. I left a full ride to school. I transferred to um, Columbia College in Columbia, South Carolina, which is a liberal arts school for all women. And I earned my degree in two years and graduated in 2014 with a Bachelor of Arts in Studio Art. And in 2015, January, I went full time with my business. And this year I am heading into my fourth year full-time in business. Wow. Okay. So that's a, that's a loaded conversation and um, yeah. <laughs> props to you, first of all, for getting started so young. And, and mm. um, you know, I think, I think there is a, a similarity in your story to 
stories of, of many photographers where they, they began to kind of go one direction and they realized their passion was ultimately in photography. And, and so they, they adjusted course. And I mean, that, mm-hmm. that in and of itself is, is, I think, a wonderful lesson. It's something I'm reminded of constantly, especially as a, as a perfectionist. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a tendency that I have to hold back and not do something until I know it's going to be just so. When the reality mm-hmm. is at the end of the day, we can go for something. And if need be, we can always correct course or adjust our course and go a different direction. Um, you did that. You took advantage. You not only worked really efficiently to finish that degree, but now you've ultimately pursued your passion in photography. And uh, so props to you for, for making that happen and for the longevity of your career already. How many weddings would you say that, that you shoot in a year on average? Now that I'm full-time pretty established, I take about 20 to 25 a year, and I don't allow myself to take more than 25. I am really, really intentional in my experience with my clients, especially my couples that I serve through their wedding experience. A lot of what the basis of my brand, the basis of my business, and the reason I'm a photographer is based in being able to photograph people in a very true-to-them way, in a yeah. genuine way that actually represents who they are and how they love instead of you know Pinterest poses that we've seen 5,000 times or beautiful bokeh or beautiful light. Those kind of things are important to me, but my main focus and goal is the experience with my clients, getting to know them on a personal level so I can photograph them in a true to them way. And also being invested enough in their relationship and in their marriage that in some way, hopefully that my images add to the success of their relationship. And when they look at them, they are constantly reminded of how much they love each other Mm -hmm. and how much they feel for each other genuinely. So that kind of is at the basis of what I do. So I only kind of allow myself so many couples so I can get to know them very well. So I can be their friend on their day and really understand who they are and how they love each other. So I'm presenting to them just more than, Hey, give me money and I'll take your photos. This is like, I presented to them. This is an experience. This is something that I have built for the success of their images than the success of their relationship. So I limit myself to about 25, but that's where I'm at with my shooting right now. And you're also doing boudoir and anniversary photography as well. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I do instant portraits, boudoir of both men and women here in South Carolina. I have loved doing it. I love, love, love being able to make someone feel beautiful or more attractive or to be able to show them an image of themselves and then think, is that really me? Yeah. Or um, do I really, can I look that confident? And to make them feel, not only give them those beautiful images, but I think a lot of um, where boudoir and intimate photography kind of falls short with some short with some photographers is I am not only creating images for you, but I want to make you feel something. I want to make you feel confident. I want to make you feel powerful um, and walk away from the session, discovering a little bit more about yourself. Um, And then anniversaries. um, I shoot, try to shoot as many anniversaries for my couples as I can, you know, email them on their anniversary uh, or about a month before and see if they want to schedule a little mini session. Cause I really just do believe in the power of images adding to the success of a relationship and the um, importance of investing in relationships. And so um, I love doing anniversaries for my couples. And then I also shoot other couples that, you know, I may not have served through their wedding experience, but they may have found me in some way. But I kind of limit myself to that. I'm very inspired by love. I'm very inspired by vulnerability um, and that kind of thing. So I stay with couples and portraits, intimate things like that. 
Um, I used to shoot a lot of families when I first got started because I think, you know, and whenever photographer gets started, it's I will do anything if you give me money. Um, <laughs> so now I've kind of moved on a little bit and kind of really tried to corner the market to those exact target clients that I have with what inspires me to shoot. Well, but you also mentioned something there that I think is really important. You're talking about creating photographs that make these clients feel something. And, you know, when I think about the art is almost a subjective word. In fact, you and I were having a conversation before we started recording about how we use words mm-hmm. ourselves versus the actual kind of original or traditional definition of a word. But art seems to be a very subjective idea. At the root of it, though, and I think most would probably agree about this, art is is that medium that or that thing that makes you feel something. And mm-hmm. a lot of photographers get really obsessed about creating their style. And and that at the root of that that conversation, I think a lot of times is about how they feel about their work versus more of a focus on how their clients feel about the work that they're creating for them. Does this image, yes. as you say, for example, make them or remind them of the incredible love that they have for each other and the history of their relationship? Uh, does it make them feel something that that brings them closer together? And I think that's a really important and kind of selfless way to look at the photography that we're doing for our clients. There's nothing wrong with creating a style and putting some time into that. There's nothing wrong, obviously, with enjoying our own work. But at the end of the day, if we're running a business, it's about serving these clients. Mm-hmm. And if we're focused on creating imagery that helps them feel something, I think that's a really wonderful goal. Yeah, I kind of probably about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I was working with my designer who has designed my brand and who has designed my website and everything. Shout out to Beachside Studio, Makayla. She's incredible. And we actually worked together on a brand strategy for my business. And I kind of, I'm the kind of person because I have a degree in art and because I'm just kind of an intentional kind of emotional person, I needed, started to find where I needed to find the purpose of what I was doing and kind of put some intentional thought behind it. Um, Because for a little while, it was just, oh, I just want to take beautiful photos. And I'm so excited about the pictures I'm taking. And I I booked another wedding. And, you know, that was fun for, you know, the first year or so. And then I kind of realized because of who I am, I need something that's going to drive me and motivate me beyond any type of monetary goal. I wanted something that my soul was um, captivated by and that I care about. So I started kind of realizing that, you know, this is how I translate who I am into this part of who I am in my photography and why um, I am an artist. And I know I tell a lot of people and, you know, people may be offended by this, but I think there's a difference between someone who is just a photographer and someone who is an artist. There, there's a little difference there and there's no wrong with either side. Um, I just think it comes to what the goal is and what the intentional idea behind the work is. And that's what I learned through getting my degree. Um, that's what, if you ask any artist or any art teacher, that's what it's about. It's about what are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? Is there a purpose behind the work that you're creating? That's something that I really have loved that I've kind of discovered about myself and my business because I'm so much more passionate now than I was, which sounds kind of crazy. Usually you hear, oh, you were really excited in the beginning and then it kind of tapers out. I don't feel that way. I feel I was young, <laughs> quite young um, when I started, but now I'm I'm so passionate because I have found that I've put some meaning behind this and it's not 
I'm not just trying to get industry recognition. I'm not just trying to pay my bills. My main goal is to really bring an experience to these clients and to present them with images that really do make them feel something or present anyone with images that make them feel something. And I know we're going to get a little bit into this later in the interview about my purpose behind my work, but finding that purpose has really, really, really um, helped me become more passionate about this and care more and be able to present an even better experience to my clients and therefore book better clients in in the long run, in the long game, because the people I'm working with now and I've worked with in the past two years, they have received the experience from a passionate photographer who genuinely cares about them, their images, and the success of their relationship. That's beautiful. Well, and and it speaks again to the importance of having a, a why that is bigger than you, right? If, if, yeah. if it was just about creating work that makes you feel good or to get a bunch of likes from your fellow photographer friends, uh, that, that the motivation is only going to probably last so I'd long. Qu- I would have quit by now, for sure. <laughs> it, that, that isn't enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad that you make this point. And, and uh, I think it's a beautiful thing that you have found your why. And as you say, we're going to dive into that why in even more depth here in just a little bit. I'm curious, what what's the toughest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far? The toughest one has definitely been understanding that not everyone is going to be the photographer who starts in their first year, shoots 30 weddings, second year, 25, all at 5k, everything is perfect. Now I'm on the speaking circuit, that kind of um, success thing that we've seen a few times in the industry. Not that that isn't a bad thing whatsoever. Sure. But I think that if we're watching, you know, other people who in the industry are doing all of this, and that was their story, it's very easy to think, if that's not my story, then I'm not successful. If that's not what happened to me, then I, well, I didn't do it exactly like so-and-so, so I'm not as good. I have had to learn that everyone's career path and everyone's career is very different and that it's more about the long game than the short term. So kind of understanding that it's okay if, you know, for my first two years in business, I only booked 14 or 15 weddings. That's not a bad thing. That's it's actually a really a great thing. I mean, that, that would That's be... That's a great thing. Yeah. Exactly. I, I remember in the first year and a half of, of my so-called career, I, it, it was actually about 15 weddings in that first year and a half. The, the next full year was 30, so it jumped really quick. But you're right, that that, that pathway that, that we take isn't all... Uh, those pathways mm-hmm. aren't all going to look the same way, and that is that is definitely okay. We all should have a really clear idea of the direction that we want to go, something that we're reaching for. And the way that we get to that goal isn't going to necessarily look the same as everybody else. And that doesn't make your success any less or any more than anyone else. And I think our our industry gets so wrapped up in, well, it worked this way for so-and-so. So so if it doesn't work that way for me, I'm not successful. And it's really been, I've had to learn, I need to set my own bars of success. If I reach this bar this year, then no one else's success challenges mine. Other people winning do not make me lose. I only win when I win. I only lose when I win. Other people losing don't make me win. Other people winning don't make me lose kind of thing. So that has been my biggest kind of challenges because, you know, we live in this age where we can literally see anyone's highlight reel at any moment of any day. (laughs) If you want to go make yourself feel bad about yourself, 
go get on Instagram. You can find an account. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that kind of finding that level of success that is mine. What is success for Jessica? What is success for Just Count Photography? And me achieving that is has no effect on anyone else's success. And no one else has any effect on my success either. I'm the only person responsible for it. Well, and again, I'm, I'm going to reiterate something I just said, but it's so important. I don't think we can stress it enough. That success is going to be different or it's going to look different for mm-hmm. everyone. But the key yes. is being clear about what that success looks like. You know, if, if we're constantly on a day in day out basis, just haphazardly running our business, we started photography, we got into photography because we love photography. If that's essentially what, what you're working toward uh, or working at is just being a photographer. And there isn't, first of all, that bigger kind of, bigger picture overarching goal that that you spoke to earlier your your why but then if you haven't clearly defined what success looks like for you yourself as a business owner then it will be so easy to to as mm-hmm. you were saying go through instagram go through facebook read blog articles and so forth and and feel like you're a disappointment or feel like you're falling short because you're comparing yourself to others idea of success versus simply yes. looking at your goals and whether or not you're meeting them whether or not you're you've implemented the right strategy in order to reach those goals that's what should matter but if we haven't taken the time to do that, then then we're going to constantly kind of fall into that rut of just looking at other people and comparing ourselves to other people. So it's so important. And we've spoken about this idea many times before in the podcast. It's really, really important to clearly establish your big picture view as a photographer, what your personal goals are for the for the long run, and then how your business model plays into that, what kind of business model you've created to support those goals, and focus on that. Let that be your focus and, and not what other people are doing. And it's going to make you so much happier. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up this point. It's a massive lesson. It's an important lesson and uh, a good reminder for all of us. Uh, I'm going to switch gears and uh, let's, let's go to your gear bag. What, what is a favorite Ooh. piece of camera gear in your gear bag or maybe an accessory of some kind? What, what comes to mind? The first thing that comes to mind is the 51.2. Yes. I actually, the first lens that I ever bought um, opposite of the kit, what was it? 15 to 35. I don't know. Whatever comes 18 to 35. I don't even know what comes on the kit lenses anymore. (laughs) The first lens I ever bought when I was 17 was a 51.8. And that year in 2011, I did a photo journal where I took a photo, one photo every single day for an entire year. And I, because I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn lighting situations, that kind of thing. And I fell in love with that lens in 2011. And it is still on my camera, my main camera body for about 60% of the wedding day in 2018. So 51.2, I shoot on Canon. I shoot on Canon 5D Mark threes. I shoot dual bodies and you know, my main camera body usually has my 50 on it. Portraits, details. Only time I probably take it off is during ceremony or reception. <laughs> well, and that, that 50, you know, especially for those just getting started, that 51.8 is probably about the best bang for yes. the buck, the, the best money that you can spend when it comes to gear. 
Uh, it's so amazing what you can do with a lens that only costs, I think the one eight is what, $200 or something like that? Yeah, it's very affordable. Very Extremely affordable. affordable. The one four is maybe three fifty. The one two gets a little bit more expensive, but yeah. um, but it's really incredible what you can do with, with that lens, especially the shallow depth of field, being able to shoot in low light as well. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I feel you on that 50. It's probably my favorite focal length. I love the simplicity, especially the, the one eight or the one four. The lenses are have such a small form factor. And so, right. And they're so light and yes. little. And it's just, I mean, the one two is, he's a little beast, but <laughs> I, I love him. Don't get me wrong. I am like so ever so not so patiently waiting for Canon to release the upgraded version. Hint, hint, if you're listening. <laughs> Come Anybody. on, Cannon, get with the program. You, Please, you said, God. <laughs> you said him. Does does your fifty one two have a name? No, he is just my little guy. I don't know. He, like we're always working. I don't know. I don't know why. Just he's just my little man. All right, we're, he, I can always count on my fifty. And honestly, I sometimes I feel like if I can, if I'm like in a moment in like couples portraits. I don't know if any other photographer runs into this, but sometimes when the day has been like one thing after another, by the time we get to the time with the couple, my creative brain is like, Nope, we're done. We did it. It's been four and a half hours. We've got nothing left to give you. What are poses? What are those? Um, and I feel like I can always just, I'm going to pop on my 50. I'm going to set it to 2.8. We got natural light. If I've got some golden hour, I can just like bring that camera up to my eye and just start working and posing. I don't know. There's something about the focal length that just is a little magical to me. So absolutely. Well, that's, that's great. If, for, if anybody listening just for whatever reason, doesn't have a 50 millimeter lens, go to Amazon right now and get it start. Even if it's just the one eight, you'll, you'll be absolutely impressed at what you're able to accomplish with, with that gear. Let's transition yet again into kind of our main focus for the day. And I want to start with an article actually that when you and I were talking about uh, having you on the podcast, what we would discuss, uh, you shared a link to an article by the catalyst wedding company blog. And it highlighted the fact that you were published actually over 75 times in 2017, but a big part of your goal in getting published that much was to promote diversity, to promote inclusion in wedding theme publications. And, and uh, so you accomplished this incredible goal, but, and, and we're going to talk about how you did that. I want to understand the why behind it though. What, what drove you to do this? What's your story? All right. So we're getting into the good stuff. Um, okay. So I grew up, I'm, I live in Columbia, South Carolina. Let's start with that. So in the middle of the Bible Belt, and I grew up in a very, very, very conservative Christian environment that was, you know, borderline, um, I would say cult-like yeah. to some crazy things, went to a private school, was involved in that society and community until I was a junior in high school when my parents tripped left the church after some things that had happened and such and so forth. So I grew up very sheltered, very much only understanding and thinking about the things that either the church wanted me to, or my parents wanted me to, and kind of growing up, you know, in this idea of loving everyone and having an open mind and being a kind person, but having no friends of color, probably you know, at that time, really not knowing any people of color whatsoever or anyone of the LGBTQ community. But I was drawn to the idea of uh, these people are just like me. And I 
want to be friends with them. And I don't understand why everyone that I know isn't is saying all these bad things about these people or, you know, has this kind of attitude about it. So with that being said, it's a little bit of my background as I've grown, as I've developed as a person and come into my own, my own identity and who I am, I kind of realized that, you know, becoming a photographer, I wanted to do, like I was saying about two years ago, I wanted to do more than just take pretty photos. And as I've progressed as a person in my own views and in my own ideas of the world, I have shaken off a lot of those religious connotations and a lot of that. And I don't really subscribe to a lot of those things that I was raised in whatsoever and kind of adjusted a little bit and grown and kind of seen that there's power in imagery. There's power in how we see people and the images that we see people. Um, You know, we've all heard the phrase representation matters, but it really does. When we see, you know, let's great example. Black Panther just came out. Shout out to the Marvel MCU. Really into it. (laughs) You know, I have yet to see the movie and and I've heard, of course, just uh, that it's amazing. (laughs) And uh, I I think I'm missing out. So I need I need to hurry up and see it. It's like a cultural phenomenon. You got to go see it. (laughs) (laughs) But we saw that's a great example of like how just an easy way to see how representation matters, how seeing someone who looks like you or someone who is like you or someone that you can identify with doing good things or doing heroic things or doing things like being in love. All of those things are really important to how we form our identities. And I kind of realized that I had seen a lot of myself as a white woman, a lot of myself in media. I had seen people who represented me. I have purple hair now. I have naturally blonde hair. So as a light-skinned, white, blonde woman, I've seen myself in images in bridal magazines a thousand times over. And I started to kind of, obviously with, you know, my friends of color kind of explaining this and going through some um, journey in myself of wokeness and understanding these issues as best that I can in the position I'm in with who I am, realizing that there is such a huge lack of representation in the industry that I work. When you look through pages of bridal magazines or you scroll super popular bridal inspo accounts on Instagram, it is constantly a sea of Caucasian heterosexual couples. And that kind of infers the idea that there aren't other people getting married and there aren't other types of love, which isn't true. Why, why do you think that that's the case? And maybe this is an, a, a kind of an obvious, uh, almost rhetorical question, but why is it that mainstream media is just focusing on those kind of stereotypes? Why haven't they made more of an issue or an effort rather uh, at inclusion and, and diversity? I think that it really comes down to one who is running those accounts or those things and who, what type of person are they not? And are they a good or bad person? But if the top 10 biggest wedding info accounts are run by white women who have never once faced any type of discrimination or never once felt, Oh, I don't know. I've never seen myself in that, or I've never seen myself represented in this way. Then it's very easy to infer. They may not even be aware of that problem because they are so deeply, so in their bubble of their own experience. Mm. So of course they're posting the same things that represent them. And that's not wrong, 
because they're representing themselves. But when you're excluding other people, that's when the problem comes in. So I don't think this conversation can be driven with all of these people and all the wedding industry has such a malicious intent and they're meaning to be racist or whatever. I don't believe that to be true. I think that there's a lot of ignorance and not ignorance as in not in a bad way, but more of a lot of people just don't know. Um, I think that that's changing now that we're in 2018. I think that excuse is not as strong, especially since there are so many great resources and Google is a thing. If you want to educate yourself on anything, you can. But I think that we really need to look at who is the people curating, who is curating this content. And are we going to them and saying, have they had a conversation with someone that was a difficult conversation? And have we given them the opportunity to adjust and learn? And I think that is really where we're we're at is People who are doing those big curation and all of that content are obviously trying to make money and they are thinking, well, the people who have a lot of money and the people who are going to be marketing with us and advertising with us, they want to see a certain type of content. And we've got to move the industry to where it is valuable to be showing every type of couple, every type of love, instead of it being valuable to cater to only Caucasian heterosexual couples. Yeah, it's it's all about, or so much of it is about perspective in the end, right? Mm-hmm. And, if, and as you say, if we do stay in our bubble, we're not willing to go outside that bubble and have what can be at times maybe difficult conversations, our perspective will be limited, will be short-sighted, and that then affects our behavior. And unfortunately, that behavior can then affect uh, groups of people who may feel like they are on the, they're the fringe, right? Like they're on the outside. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I know that, I know that your motive, your heart is in such a place and certainly mine is as well that, that we want to encourage this kind of inclusion that we want to minimize the racism and the sexism that, that unfortunately still exists, uh, in some places in our society. And even in 2018, it, it's sick, it's sad. I'm, I'm amazed by it, but, uh, it still exists, and uh, I love the fact that you've been so incredibly proactive in your effort to encourage this kind of diversity, encourage this kind of inclusion. So, talk to us a little bit about what that looked like. And, you know, first of all, most photographers, if they if they were able to get published once or twice in a year, they'd be stoked, right? Um, yeah. You set as a goal to get published seventy five times. You beat that goal, but. Again, your, your motivation uh, was tied to a bigger meaning, a bigger why. Mm. How did you approach these publications and, and bring this big idea, but then, of course, also make sure that your, your images were published in, at the same time? Kind of with the idea going forward with taking photos of people of color or a couple of any type of diversity or a couple LGBTQ community and getting them published. My idea behind it is... If there's one thing that we all as humans can understand, it is love. We have all loved someone, felt love, seen love displayed in some type of media, somewhere, a movie, a book, something. It's very, I believe, loving other humans and loving things or people is central to our identity as human beings. So my idea behind it was if I could take beautiful photos that cause people to feel something, And kind of take that idea and photograph every type of couple and every type of love that there is and get those images in front of as many people as I can. Hopefully, someone that may not understand what 
a same-sex couple feels or understand or feel positively about same-sex couples and their ability to marry, maybe they'll see one of my images and it will open their eyes a little bit and they will be able to understand because they can understand love and they can see love in that photo. And it's my hope that people will see these images and it will change how they feel about other humans that they may have preconceived notions of or something like that. So, and, and I have to jump in here because you make such a great point, uh, and that is this—the importance of focusing on what we have in common. There is so much conversation, and I think, and, and you and I were discussing this before we started recording too, that there's a certain irony, I think, in the the, the constant categorization of people rather than just treating somebody and engaging somebody mm-hmm. as though they are another human being. It, it, we have to. There's this almost obsession with categorization of Mm -hmm. individuals rather than focusing on the commonalities that can ultimately enable us to connect even more readily, even more easily. And, and love is certainly one of those commonalities. And so I'd love that. Speaking of love, I love that, (laughs) that you, that you focused on that commonality and of course have been able to do so with your photography. I'm glad that you make that point. I think that there needs to be much, much more focus on finding things that we have in common with others that you know visually or conversationally in one form or another culturally there may be some differences but if that's all we're focusing on it's going to get in the way of the relationship we should focus on those things that we have in common to begin with that's so so important but please continue yeah oh yeah <laughs> you're 100% right i i think that's why i've been able to really get so passionate about about this why in my business you know the one side of you know investing in the success of the relationships and marriages of my couples and the idea of presenting um, as much diversity and as much representation of other types of love in my work. Those two things, those, those two things come together for my why. And I think me being able to find that and me being able to identify with it so closely, being someone who is in the LGBTQ community, it has allowed me to really, really be more passionate about my business and dive in and honestly find, you know, what I love about humans and kind of give me a little bit more hope in the world. I think there's a lot of things going on right now and a lot of things in our climate and a lot of just in our world, our country, politically, socially, economically, you know, you could list a million things off the top of your head. I'm sure we all could of things that stress us out or worry us. But if there's one thing, you know, that I always want to come back to for my clients, myself, my business, humans are important. We are all valuable no matter what you look like or who you love and your love is important. Your story matters. And, and I'll also, I'll also add to the conversation too. And, and actually I'll add two caveats. Number one, um, it just is kind of a, a side note, but an important one at that, um, this, we, we have an hour for this conversation. And, and so when it comes to a massive, massive topic like diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion and, and racism and sexism that are just loaded topics um, beyond how I can, what I can even describe uh, in, in a short time. We're not going to cover every base and every detail. This is just one conversation of many, many conversations that we should be having in society and culture and certainly on this podcast. Uh, and so we, neither Jessica nor I are, are meaning to or claiming to uh, cover every single base in this conversation. The focus here is on shedding a light on the, the importance of diversity and inclusion and, and doing something about that. I'll also add, too, that the um, the comment I mentioned earlier, that the point that I mentioned earlier, the importance of finding commonalities, while that's important, 
uh, I've been reminded in the past as well of the significance of differences. Differences are mm. also in and of themselves beautiful. They are what make us what we are. Culture is a stunning thing. And, and again, a, yet another loaded topic. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to minimize the significance of differences. But when we're Absolutely. looking uh, as a culture at ways that we can connect, that we can minimize racist behavior, uh, I, one of the simplest ways that we can begin that, and it's it's just one of the ways, and it's only one element mm. to this conversation. But one of those ways is finding commonalities between ourselves and others around us who may be different in one way or another. And, um, and, and so I just wanted it to clarify that, uh, again, it, it speaks to my, my previous point, which is that we're not going to be able to cover every detail in this conversation yeah. regarding these topics, <laughs> but we're, we're doing the best we can. And, and back to the main conversation at hand, Jessica, you've done a wonderful thing here and being very proactive in this effort. So talk to us, uh, take us kind of through that process of reaching out to these magazines. You have this big, why you want to focus on this commonality that we have, uh, in in human culture, which is love, how did you approach these magazines? And maybe just on a very practical level, you can kind of walk us through the steps of the submission process. Sure. So the platform that I utilize the most in getting published is called Two Bright Lights. I'm sure anyone that is in the industry has probably heard of it or heard someone or heard something about it. Two Bright Lights is basically a platform that facilitates the relationship between photographers, planners, wedding industry professionals, and editors for blogs and magazines. Um, So I use them to kind of a lot of my submissions and kind of keep all of that together. And what I've done, kind of five really simple steps of my submission process. The first one starts out with preparation. It's before the wedding day happens or the event happens. It's getting to know my couple getting to know their story, uh, setting up a timeline so we have a successful day, asking them questions about their decor, their theme, what they're trying to look, go for in the look and style of their day, things like that. And when you say preparation, you're, you're talking about the idea that, that you're preparing yourself um, for the wedding day so that you approach it in the best way possible, so that you capture the best images possible for yes. the sake of publication. Is that what you mean by preparation? Yes. So basically setting myself up for success. Um, a big part of that would be the timeline. Um, I you know, taught this class before and I tell a lot of photographers, you are the only photographer and you are the only person who can say how much time you need for things. Your client doesn't know that. So if you want to get this wedding published and your client values detail shots, but you create a timeline where you only have 20 minutes to do all of the detail shots, that doesn't make up, that doesn't, that doesn't match up. So if you know, you need, you know, for me, I know I need at least 45 minutes with to an hour with the bride's details to document them while she's getting ready in a way that is publication worthy. So I'm setting myself up for success by preparing myself, my client and our timeline to reflect the time that I need to photograph things to get them published. Cool. Very good. So the second one would be day on shooting. You're on the day. Biggest thing to think about when you're shooting for publication, shooting to try and get published is that you're presenting a full comprehensive look of the wedding day and the story that happens within it. Um, So that is, you know, a lot of photographers easily forget about the big venue shot, the full ceremony location, empty, the reception situation without anyone there, those kind of things, telling the story, setting the tone, that kind of thing. So I am on the wedding day shooting with the same theme, colors, idea, 
a comprehensive look at the wedding day that I've already gotten from my couple because we prepared for it. I already asked her and them what their story is, what they want, what their theme is, what their colors are. So when I walk onto the day, I'm incorporating those same colors, that same, maybe same location for all of the portraits, that kind of thing. So when I get back and I'm editing that, I'm presenting not only my couple with a comprehensive album of images that looks cohesive and looks like it was all shot on the same day and tells the same story, but I'm also sending that to editors as well. And and really what we're, I mean, I, the word details comes to mind here. I, I think it's almost cliche in the sense to, that so many people have talked about the, the, the importance of details when it comes to submitting imagery to publications. Would, would details be the word that kind of sums that up there or, or are we talking about going broader than that? Um, I would say details is a good word, but I think that don't just think of it as say bridal details. You know, when you say details, do you think of a flat lay shot or yeah. some gorgeous, you know, Louboutins or something, Jimmy Choo, something like that. Sure. Details as in the unique parts of the day that are different. Um, editors and publications are featuring content that they think is going to draw new couples to their site to gain inspiration for their wedding. Okay. So you want to be taking photos of things or submitting photos of things that are going to be inspiration or that are going to be, oh, that's a cool idea. I love how they did that. So, you know, a great, a beautiful flat lay shot, one in your submission is is good enough because you have shown the inspiration of whatever the invitation is. That could be one image that's easily pinned. A good way to look at it is, is someone going to repin this on Pinterest or repost it on Instagram and be like, oh my gosh, everyone look at how cool this looks or everyone look at how beautiful this or everyone look at this story. Um, can you believe this happened on this wedding day? Those are the kind of things that we are getting featured that editors are looking for. So kind of shooting with that in mind, it's not just pretty pictures of the shoes. It's more of beautiful, well-lit photographs of the entire day that show the unique things about that day or the decor or the special story of that day. So, you know, if you've got, you've got a really cool idea for um, boutonnieres or something like that those are going to be, that would be a great detail shot that I would can be consider a detail shot because it's inspiration, but it's not just, you know, like bridal details. Yeah. And that's good. Okay. So, we, I mean, and you did speak to this at the very beginning. I'm glad we got some clarification, but you talked about creating a comprehensive picture. So, um, whereas maybe traditionally it, uh, photographers who've been published would say, Hey, make sure you get details. Publications want details. It really does go beyond that. We have to have a com- comprehensive picture of that wedding day that highlights the uniqueness of that day that tells the story effectively. Um, that's really good. Take us to the next step. Exactly. Yeah. It takes it a little bit farther than just, Oh, that's a gorgeous reception. You know, anyone, you know, you can have a gorgeous part of each wedding day. And you know, if, if any professional wedding photographer, any wedding photographer listening to this, I'm sure has experienced this where some parts of the day are more aesthetically pleasing or more easily styled than other parts of the day. And that's really where the challenge comes in with earning publications and getting published is being able to walk into a day where not everything is cohesive as it's presented to you, but you photograph it in a way that presents it cohesive to the client and to the editor. And that's really the magic and the challenge, I think, of professional wedding photography is working with what you're given and making sure that you're presenting it in the best way possible through your images and how you present that gallery and which images that you choose. That's good. That's really good. Okay. Let's go to the next step. 
Okay. <laughs> so we've got preparation, then we're shooting. Um, the last, the third kind of step is choosing your images, choosing what, you, what you're submitting to publication. Usually anywhere from 100 to 150 photos for any event is going to be where you want to hit. 75 to 100 is enough in generally for um, portraits, anniversaries, things like that. Weddings, I submit 150 every time because I'm trying to get in as much content as I can because I want them to love me. <laughs> but with that, choosing those images, you want to really be focusing on details, but not like we were just talking about, not just bridal details, but the details of the day that present the uniqueness of the day, storytelling images. Um, I call them this, but it's just kind of those emotional moments. Really great example. I just recently photographed a wedding, super, super emotional. My um, The bride's mother had passed away about four months previous before the wedding. Oh, wow. And she has a twin sister, an older sister. Her dad was there. And it was just a very, very emotional day for this family. And we were able to really capture some very, very emotional images. When I look, when I was um, sending them to my photographer's edit, <laughs> not editing them myself anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shameless I, plug. <laughs> um, yeah, plug because I really believe in it. Um, uh, I, you know, was looking through some of these images and I was brought to tears again just looking at this and those would be those kind of images where when I submit that wedding, it's not just going to be the pretty pictures from that wedding. I'm going to submit some of those really emotional, you know, moments and write in the album story to the editors that I'm submitting. This is what happened. This is the story of this couple, because though that is a very sad thing, it is part of their wedding day story. It is part of their love story and it it's okay if we talk about it and we share it and we show it. So that so you're building that submission 150 images storytelling images things that are unique and then the last step is making sure that you're researching who you're sending your publications to it is not just willy-nilly it is really easy for especially if you're utilizing two bright lights you can easily submit you know to 10 15 20 non-exclusive blogs in one day in one submission easy peasy but if you're just sending to anyone or names that you don't know, the likelihood of you getting accepted is going to be very small. Most blogs are on niche or they're really focusing on certain things or they're really looking for a certain style, a certain type of wedding day, that kind of thing. Um, so make sure you're researching the publications you're sending your content to. If you, you know, we've got this light and airy, dark and moody, two sides of the industry right now. You know, if you're a dark and moody Colorado elopement photographer, you don't need to be submitting to something like Palmetto State Weddings, which is a South Carolina wedding blog. So kind of a lot of building that submission and researching, making sure you're sending it to the right publication to get to get that yes, because just sending it doesn't mean anything if you get a no. That makes sense. Now, when in the submission process, you mentioned Two Bright Lights earlier, and they're helping kind of funnel your work to various blogs. Is that right? How does that how does that work? Okay, so how Two Bright Lights works is basically I am creative creating the submission within their platform, which means I'm uploading the images, tagging all of the vendors involved with the day. If I have their email address and website, that's great because then they can get a backlink and they'll get notified from the system from Two Bright Lights when we get published. And I'm writing in an album story, which is basically the story of the couple highlighting the unique things that happened on that day and explaining to the editor what is about what about this couple? You know, what what happened? What 
What did their day do? What did she wear? Things like that. And so I'm doing all of that and compiling it within the True Bright Light system. And it kind of walks you through building the submission in that way. Wow. And then from there, you send through True Bright Lights to over 500 publications that they are partnered with. And then the editor views those submissions within the platform. So it's basically a way to build your submission once, have it saved and be able to send to multiple different publications with just a few clicks instead of previously, whereas, you know, you would be submitting to blogs with their one submission form. Then you go to another blog and you have to redo it. And then you go to another blog and you have to redo it. And you know what I mean? So two bright lights kind of compiles all of that. You do it once and you just resend, resend, resend instead of having to rebuild that submission over and over. That's amazing. So what percentage then of those 75 plus times that you were published last year was a result of work that Two Bright Lights is doing for you? 69 of my publications last year were via Two Bright Lights. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, so yeah. this is an incredible tool for, for all of our listeners who are not yes. in, not involved with Two Bright Lights. They need to make sure to go check that out. And, and is the, the sign-up process relatively easy, but how long does it take a photographer to get signed up and going? Super easy. You can sign up today. There is an option to even have a free account to check it out in case you're like, "Mm, I don't really know how I feel about this. Or if you want to go ahead and start submitting, start sending your work, that kind of thing. It is a yearly fee, or you can choose a monthly fee. And um, they have graciously given me a promo code to use for all of the photographers, edit friends and Boca podcast listeners. All of you can use the code J hunt photos. That's my, that's my Instagram name. It is J H U N T P H O T O S and use that code for 10% off your first year with them. If you want to get started. So anyone who's listening to this could sign up, get started, start submitting within, I would say 10, 15 minutes of hitting the Bright Lights website. It is wow. so easy. Yeah. That's cool. Well, and we'll make sure to, to put that code in our show notes as well. So in case you didn't catch that, you can go back, take advantage of, of that code, get the discount and get started getting your work out there. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective and your experience. And, and again, I know I keep using the word, but the proactive effort that you made, Jessica, you know, it's, it's one thing for us to talk about these issues on Facebook, for example, and rant mm-hmm. and rave and, and go on, but it's another thing to actually do something about it. And, you know, all of our perspectives are going to be in some form or fashion subjective or maybe even limited in one way or another. Before we even started recording, you were talking about how you gained additional perspective with regards to these topics by talking to other people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's really important to have these conversations to broaden our perspective. But at the end of the day, you did something about it. And I I have a ton of respect for you in that regard. How How would you say photographers... Um, can also do something similar, can on their own accord uh, go and promote in one way or another diversity and inclusion? I love this question. It might be my favorite one. The first one, I would say there are some few easy steps that any photographer, no matter who you are, could take to start help change the industry. The first one would be do some personal examination of yourself and see where you sit in your own racial biases, in your own biases against people or for people, anything like that. Do some reflection upon how you feel um, and if that needs to change. Um, I think that there is a lot of, there are going to be a lot of people who are like, oh, I want to do something about it, but may have, you know, 
slightly racist behaviors or discriminatory behaviors that they're like literally taking part in right now. Um, Things like microaggressions, things of that nature. Just kind of that's the first step is recognizing that we all have a responsibility to do something about this, especially if you are a white person. It is your responsibility to protect and to fight against those who are working to silence the voices of marginalized peoples. So kind of examining who you are, examining where your privilege sits and what you can do about it in your own life. The second one I would be, would be if you are a business owner, reach out to other business owners that you know and have hard conversations with them. Um, Bring it up in topics and start talking with other wedding industry professionals that you care about and that you're friends with so you can all be working together. Because if we are, you know, it's just one or two of us or a small group of us, you know, change will start. But until we start having these conversations in a normal everyday space where people don't become uncomfortable or, Oh, I can't, I can't talk about this. I think that's very easy. That happens all of the time. So, you know, with your closest friends in the industry or with your, anyone in your life, start having those hard conversations, start fighting for the voices of marginalized people. And then as a photographer, create work that is representing anyone who is marginalized, any voice that is put down in our current culture and start photographing them. Reach out, do model calls. I know a lot of I know a lot of white photographers. When we're talking about this, the first thing I get is, "But no couples of color or LGBTQ clients inquire with me. They just don't hire me. It's not my fault." Okay, no. Um, the easiest way to kind of explain why I say no to that is, are you presenting your business as open to those couples? Because if your website only has one certain type of couple on it, or if your Instagram only has one certain type of love or couple it's represented, why would a couple that doesn't see themselves represented in their work ever hire you or reach out to you? So I think that there is going to be a little bit of people needing to accept this responsibility and having to create some imagery that might they might have to do a little work for free. My first two LGBTQ clients that I photographed were both people that I reached out to and asked if I could photograph them because I knew that my portfolio was lacking and I knew that I was saying in a very unintentional way with my online presence that I don't photograph same-sex couples, even though that is part of my identity and that is something that I really care about and I cared about at that time, I wasn't presenting myself as open to that. So reflection on yourself, reflection upon your friends in the industry and opening you know, you opening your mouth and things need to be said and standing up for what's right. And then that last one is creating imagery of these type of couples, getting it published, sharing it, celebrating them just as much as we celebrate all of the Caucasian heterosexual couples, anyone really. If someone is getting married, someone loves each other, we need to be celebrating them. We need to be celebrating their culture, their souls, their experience. So kind of start there. Um, and I want to use this kind of as a little plug, if I can, for some incredible resources of education and some people who are much more educated than myself. Um, I know Nathan mentioned earlier that he and I cannot cover everything or speak on every topic or even begin to delve into the deep, deep, deep parts of where the conversation of 
diversity and inclusion can take us. And especially as to Caucasian people, you know, our experiences limited, especially in some of these conversations. So I want to take this kind of opportunity for any photographers who are listening, some resources for you to do some more reading if you'd like. Um, I'm going to send Nathan some links to put in the show notes below if you'd like to reference these. Um, a few that I want to mention are, like we, we talked about earlier, Catalyst Wedding Co. Catalyst is a wedding magazine that is basically based in the idea of progressive ideals, feminist ideals, and looking at weddings in a way that isn't only um, shaped by um, sexism or heterosexuality or our current culture or anything of that nature. I want to shout out to Maya Colvin of Tamaya Colvin Education. She is an incredible woman of color um, educator and photographer in Houston, Texas. And she actually has her own educational platform where she highlights the voices of people of color, LGBTQ community within our own industry. And you can go and purchase very, very affordable classes. I'm talking like $5 for an hour long class on how to change the copy on your website to be more inclusive to other types of couples. And I have, I have to jump in here and say, yeah, I, I, Tamaya is one of my just favorite people in the industry that I've had the opportunity She's to so great. spend time with. And, and in fact, I've actually talked to her about coming on the podcast. We're definitely going to have to make that happen, but I'm glad that you yes. gave her a shout out. She's incredible. Um, and then the last one I want to kind of mention is Nova Reed over at New Bride. Um, she is an editor and she is one of my little internet associations. Her content is incredible. She just recently did some work with a really big media company on um, addressing some of the biases around Meghan Markle and ha- Prince Harry getting married. But those are three kind of resources I want to point people towards. I could name a million and a half women of color, people of color, different LGBTQ plus community business owners. But I just want to highlight some voices of women of color really quickly, just to make sure that anyone listening knows that um, neither Nathan nor I think that we know everything about this, have covered everything about this subject, and that there are resources with the voices of those that we want to amplify. They are speaking, they are writing articles, they are out there. You just have to go find them and just go read their content. So I just wanted to highlight those really quickly, (laughs) if that's all right. Absolutely, I'm I'm really glad you did. And and we'll kind of close with with this point, which is, um, and and I'm so glad that you reiterated that the fact that we don't, we're not having this conversation today with the the premise that we know it all or that we can even begin to understand the perspective of everyone um, associated with these conversations mm-hmm. uh, our perspectives are all limited in in one way or another but the thing that i would that i would like to put out there to close the conversation is is this um, those of us such as Jessica and myself who do want to be involved in these conversations and ultimately doing something to encourage diversity and to encourage inclusion um, is that at the root of our desires is, is a heart um, and, and a heart that wants to do, to do good. Uh, what, what we bring to the conversation, our, our perspective really at the root of that uh, maybe in one form or another limited, but our heart is in the right place. And I think that, you know, you mentioned the fact that conversations like these can be tough a lot of times. And, and a lot of what is innate to how difficult those conversations can be is that 
uh, people are kind of tiptoeing. They're walking on eggshells because they're afraid to say the wrong thing. I, I could mm. very well have said something during this podcast episode that maybe rubbed somebody the wrong way, and it certainly wasn't my intention. And and any other, Same. yeah, and any other conversations, similar conversations that I have, whether it's here on the podcast or outside of the podcast, similar things can happen. I think what we need to do in these conversations is to go into the conversations with the assumption that the other person has your best interest, our best interest, those, those involved in these conversations' best interests at heart. While there may be limited perspectives, um, an openness to conversation, a desire for conversation, and certainly action, especially on your part, Jessica, um, at encouraging diversity and inclusion, what's at the root of all of that is, is a heart to connect with people and to connect people. And if that assumption is made that, that, the, that everyone's best interests are at heart, I think that sets the tone, sets the basis for a productive conversation. If the assumption is I'm on this side, you're on that side, you don't get me. And that's how the yeah. conversation starts. It limits the conversation and that, that tendency for people to kind of walk on eggshells and nothing really productive to come of the conversations other than, um, I'm over here, you're over there, uh, that, that's going to continue. So let's assume, if at all possible, that the other person has a good heart, wants to do what's right, wants to do what's best for the sake of diversity and inclusion, start the conversation with that premise. And I think a lot can come from those conversations. I'm glad that we had this one today. I love your perspective. Again, what I love most about what you're representing in this conversation is action, Jessica. I have so much respect for that. We'll make sure to link everybody to both your website and Instagram in the show notes. Jessica Hunt Photography, just like it sounds.com is your website. And then of course on Instagram, J Hunt Photos. And uh, we've listed a number of other resources, including the article, the original article that you shared with me. Uh, we'll make sure to put all of that, uh, all of those resources in the show notes. And I really can't thank you enough for making time for the Boca podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Nathan. I am really excited that you were willing to have this conversation. And um, that's the first step in this battle. And it is exciting to me that um, leaders in the industry like you, you like yourself and photographers edit are willing to speak about this and kind of put out a podcast about it. So thank you for that. We can only start to create change if we all get on the same page and we all start working together. I have been honored to talk about this kind of stuff today. It is something so close to my heart and so close to my passion. Last thing I want to say is I just want to open up my inbox for anyone listening who'd like to have a conversation, who maybe has some questions, who maybe is scared to have these conversations and isn't sure if the resources provided that we have for you haven't answered all your questions and you need a safe space to go and ask someone anything. I am there. I am willing to put in the emotional labor to do some education. So if anyone has any questions, wants to say anything or send me hate mail, <laughs> um, <laughs> you're welcome to at hello at jessicahuntphotography.com. Um, let's dive into the nitty gritty and let's change the industry. Absolutely. Well, and you know, on that note, then I'll, I'll just uh, could reiterate uh, my email address as well, Nathan at photographersedit.com. Uh, if, if those listening in have suggestions for future conversations around these topics uh, or guests that either are interested in coming on or, or that you'd like to recommend to, to come on the Boca podcast, please don't hesitate to send me an email as well, Nathan at photographersedit.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Thank you, Jessica, again. Everyone, have an absolutely wonderful day. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. We let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app. And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is Nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.